Hey guys, welcome back to Southern Fried Storytime. I have another kind of trip review for you guys this week. It's just after Christmas, and so my husband did have a couple days off after Christmas to kind of rest and recover for a little while. So, you know, it takes a little bit to transition from from days to nights and then back to days so you know you feel like a zombie for a little while so those couple days really did help him kind of get his sleep pattern back on a more human schedule and during that time we uh, explored some of the local plantations that are around our home here in South Carolina and one of the kind of most satisfying to take a look at was the Magnolia Plantation being from the north, where it's usually pretty well frozen about this time of year, and it usually gets at its worst around the end of January, early February, it was really refreshing to kind of go outside and enjoy how green and flowery everything still is here. It, it was pretty unusual for us to be wandering around outside this time of year and still see living, breathing plants. So it was really exciting to me. I really enjoyed it. So I wanted to share that experience with some of you. Now the first plantation we took a look at was um, the Magnolia Plantation, which opened in, um, ah, here it is, 1676. So this place has been around for a while and like many of the plantations in this area where I'm living right now um, it was a rice plantation in fact the um, apartment complex that I live in is a former rice plantation so a lot of rice was grown here in South Carolina it was considered one of the highest quality and thus most expensive rice products in the entire world at the time it was quite famous for that South Carolina rice. It's actually still pretty expensive today, my husband and I noticed at the grocery store the other day. So we kind of bought your standard cheapo rice, but uh, South Carolina rice is just considered a very high quality product. And so many, many of the plantations in this area in the quote unquote old South were rice plantations. When we think of plantations historically, we tend to think of um, cotton plantations. So it was a little different to me to uh, see that these were all mostly rice fields rather than cotton fields, which makes sense because it is kind of swampy and boggy here. And cotton, I think, needs to be dry for a certain amount of time. So, you know, rice is infamously a, a great, you know, water boggy kind of crop. And so it did pretty well here in the swamps of South Carolina. Now, Magnolia Plantation was originally 1,872 acres, and it has been in the Drayton family for 15 generations. In 1738, John Drayton built the nearby Drayton Hall home as a home of his own, since as the third um, son in the family, he knew it was unlikely that he would inherit any rights to the Magnolia Plantation. So as you drive down the street, you'll see like Drayton Elementary School and Drayton Hall. Drayton Hall is another equally grand house, but not technically part of the plantation because John was the third son and didn't inherit any you know, rights are part of the plantation, but he was still a member of the same family that owned the Magnolia Plantation, so they're all kind of interconnected. Um, there's another plantation on the road, I think, called Middleton or something like that, and it, uh, I think, was also somehow connected to this same family, though I don't believe they were the 
actual owners thereof. Um, Drayton Hall was then the his home for the rest of his life. Magnolia Plantation is known for its gardens. Um, when Reverend John Grimke Drayton inherited the property in the 1840s. While his aunts Sarah and Angela moved north to become abolitionists, his future wife was moving south from Philadelphia, lured in by the plantation's gorgeous English-style gardens. He was among the first to, to plant the Japanese subaki flowers that, of course, has a Latin name that I can't pronounce, so I'm actually doing better just going with subaki, which if you've ever read the... Um, Oh, what was it? The Bleach comic strip. There are references to the Tsubaki flower in that particular comic, as well as a pretty famous Japanese flower. And uh, so uh, John Grimke Drayton was the kind of the first traceable source of those flowers living within the U.S. And if you've been looking on my Patreon page, pictures of these flowers, I've been posting them the last few weeks because they happen to be the ones that are in bloom right now as we were wandering through the gardens. And they come in lots and lots of different pinks. There's like a soft kind of petally pastel pink and there's a more bold almost neon pink and there were these really cool ones that were pink and white together which was perfect because we went there right after Christmas and it looked kind of like a candy cane flower but they're just lovely and it's you know as I mentioned as a northerner absolutely refreshing to see flowers and plant life this time of year so it was a very cheery experience and it's the first time I've seen a subaki flower in real life rather than in a manga comic so it was pretty fun to me. And so he introduced these flowers to the U.S. and is also said to have brought the first azaleas to America as well. So this guy was obviously a pretty avid gardener, though from the research I did, this came more from his uh, desire to pursue his future wife than it seemed to come from his own ambitions. Apparently she was the one that was into gardening and that was the best way for him to kind of lure her south from from Philadelphia was to kind of lure her in with these beautiful, beautiful botanical gardens. Um, the Audubon Swamp Garden is named after John James Audubon, who visited the plantation at one point around this time as well, so they went ahead and named that part of the garden after him. One, uh, this is one of the only plantations to have survived both the Revolutionary and the Civil War. The plantation house itself was burned during the Civil War and reconstructed, but overall the plantation was not too badly harmed. After the Civil War, however, the rice economy and the economy of the South in general completely tanked. And as such, after the Civil War, Drayton sold all but 390 acres of this farm in order to keep it open and opened both the house and the gardens to tour. So if you've ever watched Downton Abbey, you know that in the later seasons they start opening the house that Downton, you know, they opened Downton Abbey up for tours so that they can continue to have a revenue stream, continue to have public interest from the community, and to just keep Downton up and running and within the hands of the Crawley family. It sounds like something very similar happened here with the Drayton family, where they did have to sell some of the land, but overall by opening up the house and the gardens for tours, they were able to keep this property within the hands of the Drayton family, which is pretty unusual from the plantations we've seen so far. Like I said, my apartment building 
that I live in now used to be a plantation. Another plantation I visited is owned by Charleston County Parks. And so for so much of the plantation to remain within private hands, I think is really unique and really very special because you don't get to see too many of those big houses get to kind of stay within one family anymore. So it's kind of cool to see that they were able to keep it. Um, so this is a very different from the McLeod plantation, which we also visited, which had to sell itself parcel after parcel after parcel until the original owner died in 1990 at 104 years old, at which point the McLeod plantation, as I mentioned before, was transferred into ownership by the Charleston County Parks. Interesting side note, there's actually a lot more to see at the Magnolia plantation and a lot more gardens to wander around in, and it's only $5 more than the McLeod plantation which I think my husband and I were able to explore pretty much the whole thing in about half an hour. So if you've got $20 to spend on a plantation tour in Charleston, I would recommend Magnolia over McLeod. Um, Magnolia also, if you have a couple extra dollars to spend on an actual tour, has um, several different tours, like a tour of the Audubon Swamp Trail. There's a tour um, of kind of through the slave cabins to learn your history there. It's, I think, called Slavery to Freedom. There's a tour of the actual plantation house. And uh, I don't know, there's just so much more to see on this property for it to only be $5 more to visit. I was really impressed with the gardens of the Magnolia Plantation. I still, I mean, we spent two different days walking through it, and I still don't think we saw it all. We saw 14 different alligators, but I don't think we saw the whole property. And, uh, so to me, that was really, really impressive as opposed to $15 to visit McLeod Plantation that, again, just took us about half an hour. So highly recommend Magnolia if, you know, you're looking at that. And, you know, sometime I'd like to redo it and do some of those tours just to learn a little bit more about the property. But also I think having a tour guide through the gardens would probably be pretty helpful because it's pretty easy to get turned around in there just because it's such a massive property. There are petting zoos and of course the plantation house the gift shop looks incredibly small from the outside but it runs through the whole under um kind of under bottom story of the house so you get turned around pretty easily in there i heard somebody else mention in there that they thought they were lost so it's not just me you can get turned around in that little gift shop too um but yeah, there's large fields where they have little ponies and stuff and huge acres of swamps where you can see all of the different alligators and cranes and egrets and all kinds of stuff. It was really, really a pleasure to visit. And it's also dog friendly. So Bailey and Oliver got to go with us and uh, walk for, I don't know, I think it was four or five miles when we went the second day. The first day we didn't know that it was going to be a dog friendly situation. The dogs are not welcome within the petting zoo, but... The rest of the Magnolia Plantation you can bring your furry friends to. Now, both plantations were captured by the British during the Revolutionary War. In fact, at Magnolia, you can actually walk to the point on the river where the British approached and ended up capturing the plantation. And so, you know, you can actually see the exact point where it happened. During the early American days, you know, rivers and the ocean were kind of the highways of the day and it was often easier for people to travel via boat down a river than it was to go down the bumpy unpaved kind of rough roads at the time so oftentimes people would take a boat from 
other cities in the area like Savannah and they would take one of those big paddle boats like you see in the old New Orleans movies like in The Princess and the Frog and they would take those paddle boats up and down the coast and one of the stops was Charleston and you could stop right there at the Magnolia Plantation and just wander through the gardens for a while to get a break from the heat and just kind of be in the shade for a bit and it's absolutely lovely. One thing that kind of shocked me touring the two or three different plantation houses that we've seen since we came down here is how small the houses actually are. I don't know about you guys, but I grew up watching like Gone with the Wind where you see Tara and Twelve Oaks and these just humongous, magnificent plantation houses that are just giant mansions, almost castles, you know, so you, I was just expecting these houses to be so much bigger, but I found out that the, uh, the rebuilding of the plantation house on my apartment's property is actually pretty accurate to the plantation house that existed there in the day. They actually still have the original chimney, so that's why our chimney always looks kind of kind of old because it is really old. Um, but also the McLeod and the Magnolia plantations, I was just surprised at how not huge the houses were. They look really big from the front because they're built to look really, really large and imposing and really grand. And both of them had this kind of large walk, kind of sweeping walkway up to the house that had uh, live oaks on either side of the road. So they look really magnificent when you walk up to them. But once you get up close, you realize that it's just a two to three story house, three stories if you count the attic. Sometimes there's a basement, sometimes there's not. It's kind of swampy down here, so it's always a little iffy to build a basement. But um, then there, then it's usually only about two rooms deep. So these buildings are kind of tall and wide, but then they're skinny as far as like just not being very thick front to back. And the rooms within it are really not that big. So I was surprised just because having watched Gone Within's again. I'm a I'm a northerner, so you know I. One lady said down here, thank God I'm not a Yankee, that apparently being Midwestern means that I'm not a Yankee, which means I've misunderstood what Yankee means. I assumed it meant everybody from the North. Apparently being from Michigan means I'm Midwestern, so I'm not a Yankee. But either way, I am from the North, so my, you know, I'm not part of Southern culture, so I came from the assumption that these huge um, plantation houses were really, really huge. Like, think of the... Uh, LaBeoufs in Princess and the Frog, their house, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of like the Biltmore estate, like that all of the houses were like that. When really these plantation houses, while they look really big from the front, they're not much bigger than your normal middle class family's house. And I was just really surprised by that. It's just funny because they're, they're big on one side. They're, they're, two or three stories tall, but they're just not very thick. They're only like one or two rooms deep. So it it's one of those things where it looks really huge and grand from the front entrance. Then once you go in, you're like, oh, this isn't very huge at all. And I noticed that with the plantation house on our property here on the plant or on the plantation on the apartments but I thought oh you know that's a rebuilt recreation maybe it's just supposed to kind of look like a plantation but surely real plantation houses are bigger than that nope the other plantations I've visited have all been about the same size about the size of kind of a middle class or upper middle class 
family's home. I think my parents, my husband's parents, and certainly my aunt and uncle and my husband's aunt and uncle's homes have all actually been bigger than these plantation houses that I've entered. And I'm, I'm really, really surprised because I've considered us a pretty normal kind of middle class, like middle, middle class families. And so to me, I don't know, like I said, I kind of was picturing like the Biltmore Estate or Downton Abbey, just these huge houses that go on and on and on. And really, they're, I mean, they're big houses, but not, you know, blow your mind kind of big houses like I expected. Like, it's it's crazy to me that you actually, you know, pay to go on tours of houses that are not much bigger than, you know, my friend's houses growing up. It just seems really strange. But there's a lot more history there, and so if you're a history buff, it'll still be fascinating, even though the houses are not nearly as big as at least my imagination, my northern imagination, <laughs> had led me to believe. I'm sure, you know, because there are richer and poorer people in every community, I'm sure there were some plantation houses that were really, really huge mansions like that, but so far none of them that I've seen in real life, and I live in the quote-unquote historical plantation district of West Ashley, Charleston. So, you know, this is where they were. <laughs> so maybe, you know, Gone with the Wind takes place in Georgia. Maybe the Georgian plantations are bigger than the Charleston plantations. I don't know. I was just really shocked at the plantation houses not being as big as I had built them up to be in my brain. I thought they were going to be kind of this big monster. And it's it's just kind of a two-story home with an attic. Surprise, surprise. Um... Yeah, it's just kind of funny, too, because as you approach it, it even looks like it's going to be a humongous house just because of the sweeping oak-lined drive, and uh, it's it's very deceptive. Um, one kind of unique to the Charleston area thing here, too, that you find is that both plantations are deeply connected to the Gullah culture, also called the Geechee culture. Geechee, the word Geechee, is derived from the word Ogeechee River, which... Um, is near Savannah. Gullah is the name of the Creole dialect of English spoken by the Gullah and Geechee people. They lived in the low country regions of Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina. And I was first made aware of this culture by the children's program Gullah Gullah Island on Nickelodeon. It's no longer on Nickelodeon, though. It's an oldie. I'm a 90s kid, so you're going to have to dig back to find Gullah Gullah Island, but it is worth the dig. The show was written by and starred Ron and Natalie Daisy. They had a different last name in the show, but I can't remember it. Ron was actually raised in South Carolina as part of the Gullah culture on one of the local little sea islands here. Um, the show introduces some of the culture's crafts, traditions, languages, and culture in a very kid-friendly way, and uh, it made people who were outsiders not only to Gullah culture, but to Southern culture as a whole, like me, want to see and learn more. I think since we live in a time where people of different beliefs kind of threaten each other in the streets and shout each other down on social media, I think Ron Daisy's friendly, welcoming approach and to teaching people about his unique culture really strikes me as much more effective way to educate people on cultural differences than hurling accusations and putting each other on the defense right from the beginning. I definitely recommend the show for an introduction to this incredible, beautiful co coastal culture. 
the Gullah Geechee culture honestly need their own podcast or series to go through their history and culture to do them real justice because it is an incredible part of the culture down here. A lot of times these people lived in the smaller sea islands around the Charleston area and farther south. And they have all of these cool crafts and their their own unique food, their own unique language. It, it's really, really neat and, uh, you know, highly influenced by both um, kind of Caribbean culture and also American culture and also kind of African culture. And it's kind of a mix altogether. And uh, really, like I said, I think somebody should do a podcast just on the Gullah Geechee culture Probably somebody who's actually from that community, though, as somebody who's not from the Gullah Geechee culture, nor somebody who's even from the South. I do not feel anywhere near equipped to handle something of that magnitude, and people would, you know, get their dander up these days about that kind of thing. But Or if you're some kind of, you know, maybe low country history major, something like that. But I, I don't feel equipped to tackle the entire culture, but needless to say, it's a very colorful culture, very... Um, very community-based. They have lots of incredible art. And, I mean, let's face it, it's the low country, so the food is amazing. And um, just visiting some around the Charleston area has allowed me to kind of get to know this culture a little better. Again, not well enough that I feel like I could do a whole podcast on it, but I definitely think somebody needs to because these small little pockets of our culture, like the Gullah Geechis, like the Cajun culture, you know, these small little pockets of America that um, are sometimes forgotten, I think could use a little more highlight just because these bits of our culture are part of what make America unique, but also, you know, what make these cultures unique in America. So I think these little bits of kind of what they call local color, I think, need to be exposed more. All of a sudden I find myself wanting to go to New Orleans just even talking about this. So I definitely recommend, <clears throat> sorry, recommend Magnolia Plantation. I recommend Gullah Gullah Island. And if you find some time to yourself, definitely do a little more research on the Gullah Geechee culture. Pretty much any part of kind of the Charleston Low Country tourism that you find around here also has little bits and pieces of art from the local Gullah culture and snacks and stuff like that, but it really doesn't dive that much into it, um, probably because it ha does have to do with slavery and gaining independence from slavery, so it does tend to be a pretty sensitive topic. People tend to tread pretty lightly on it, and I think that's part of what made Gullah Gullah Island unique, is it was somebody from the Gullah culture teaching about it, rather than, you know, a history professor or something like that. And so it was taught in a very friendly, welcoming way, and I think if we taught other cultures in that kind of way instead of just screaming at each other and shouting each other down, I think it would be much more effective for helping to preserve these smaller cultural communities in our country because when you don't throw people on the defensive right away, then those people are less prone to attack. So if you approach it from a friendly, more educational way, the way Ron did in Gullah Gullah Island, I think that would be a much better way for us to connect with these cultures. And when you connect with someone personally or with a culture personally, you're much more likely than to to try to do everything you can to preserve that culture than if you're just doing it because you feel like you should, you feel like you have to. It's like visiting, you know, that obscure relative that you don't really know, but you kind of have to see. You know, you don't people are less prone to actually step forward and do 
things when they feel like they have to than if they're actually engaged and personally invested. And so I think um, coming down here and getting to know that culture and uh, learning about it from somebody who wants to include you in it, I think is the best way to kind of open up those those barriers. And uh, yeah, I definitely encourage you to come check it out. It's an incredible area. And if I visit any more plantations while we're down here, I'll be sure to let you know. Keep an eye on my Patreon. That's patreon.com slash southernfried. I'm releasing lots of pictures. Chad and I took tons of pictures when we went to the plantations. So it'll probably be a couple weeks of me putting up these pictures from the Magnolia Plantation, from the McLeod Plantation, and um, I definitely hope you enjoy it and have a wonderful weekend.